And so with that in mind and that unity and that strength, uh, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Charlotte. Back to you. Charlotte and Susan. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Colleen. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Hi, Colleen. Hi, Colleen. Hi. Um, and Susan and I, again, thank you all for coming, are going to be leading you through all 12 steps on body image. Um, just to kind of give you an idea of the layout of how this afternoon is going to go, um, what we do is we take each of the steps and we work through um, our ideas and um, misconceptions and perceptions of our body and our body image. And, um, the reason that we bring it through the 12 steps is because that is what has saved each of our lives. So um, we'll begin a little bit, we'll tell you a little bit about who we are, what it was like, uh, what it's like now, uh, and then we'll jump right into the steps. We're going to be um, referencing literature. Uh, if you have questions or whatever as we go along, like what was that again, you know, just jump in and ask. Um, you don't need to like take furious notes. Um, and then there'll be questions at, at the crux of each of the steps for you to spend some time reflecting on, doing some writing. One of the things that we also just really emphasize from the beginning is that, that you share your writing with someone. There'll be some things you'll be able to share today in the workshop, but we're not going to have time for you to share everything. So we highly suggest that you share it with your sponsor. Um, and even if you do share some of the stuff with the people here in the meeting today. So... Um, do you want to start us off with the set-aside prayer? Sure. Okay, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to read the set-aside prayer. If anybody knows it, jump in. God, please set aside for me all the things I think I know about you, me, OA, the 12 steps, recovery, and especially spiritual matters so that I can have an open mind for a new experience of all these things. So we say that because as Colleen said, we're gonna go through each of the steps in a way that you never have before. It's all regarding body image. So um, some people might say, well, that's not how I learned it or whatever. So we're just asking just to keep an open mind because um, it will be a new experience. Thanks a lot. Okay, so I'll just start off. So, um, like I said, my name is Colleen. I'm a compulsive reader. Um, my hi, Colleen. Hi. hi. My abstinence date is August 4, 2002. So I'm me willing on uh, this coming August. I will have 21 years of abstinence, uh, which is a huge miracle. My Top weight that I know of was 311 pounds, so I've been maintaining about 165 or so pound weight loss probably for about uh, 18, 17, I kind of lost track. It took me a couple of years. Uh, magically, the weight didn't just drop off when I walked in the room, because um, <laughs> then I would have walked right, right back out. Um, anyway, so um, 
you know, my story basically, um, and I'm going to focus a little bit more on body image or whatever. Um, I, I mean, I was so disconnected from my own body from a pretty young age. Kind of the, the sense I got from it was that I, I was in a fairly chaotic experience and environment. Um, too much for me to handle, and so I just made my body the enemy. Like, I just, that was the easiest thing ever. Um, and of course, it's not conscious. I don't make those kind of conscious decisions at three years old. I think it's just survival. Um, and so my whole life, the story was like, well, if I wasn't fat, you know, I'd have a boyfriend. I would have more friends. I would become the palm dancer I wanted to be in high school, whatever it was, you know. Um, of course, I never quite connected that, like, the way you're eating, you know, because that was my lifeline. Like, that was, you know, if I could have shot up, I would have. I'm, I'm seriously a hardcore um, food addict. So, you know, one does not get to over 300 pounds because they got a little issue with food. So, um, you know, as far as I was concerned, I was sort of cut off from, from the neck down, you know, and I, that, that was certainly supported to you. People would be like, you have such a pretty face, if only. I thought if I only had money for every time somebody said that to me. Um, and I just, it just continued, you know, like if I, and the, my language towards myself was always very deeming, um, sorry, condemning towards my body. It was also a lot of fear, um, meaning like I just, anything, I, I didn't know how, I didn't have language for like, I'm not comfortable with this, you know, I literally did not have that language. So the other thing that, that being in a large size body afforded me is a nice way of non-verbally saying, back off, don't touch me, you know, or I'm afraid to get too close to you because, by the way, even if you do touch me, I can't really feel it because I've got all this padding around me. So it became pretty clear um, early on that when I came into OA at over 300 pounds, you know, that I had built this sort of protective mechanism and there was something that clinched for me about a year into abstinence that like it wasn't really protecting me from what I thought it would. <clears throat> um, and I was like, well then I need to, to let go. And you know, that began the harrowing process of eating less food, <laughs> um, you know, diving into the steps, working this program as though my life depended upon it. And ultimately, um, it does and continues to, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, when I reached a healthy body weight, it's not like everything was magically better. Um, I then was confronted with all of these thoughts and perceptions and experiences of being in my body that I never even let really register. And uh, found myself like, what do I do with this? You know, um, because strangely enough, when you are not, when I was not numbing with food, being able to have constantly barrage myself with degrading things to say about didn't go over so well, you know, because I didn't have the pizza or whatever to turn to to stuff my face or to shove some M&Ms in and not remember any of that. So it really became like, how do I do this, you know, and like, and, you know, I was accountable with my food, being on the scale or whatever. Um, but I, I literally didn't know what it was like to be in a healthy body. I mean, I think I was in a healthy body somewhere on the way up, but I pretty much had spent most of my life overweight. didn't come from a lot of dieting. But so that began the process of like, okay, how do I, how do I make peace with, how do I get around this? And that's where it became, well, you know, the 12 steps are how I got here. So maybe the 12 steps can help me through this, you know, it's a really just sort of piecemeal 
some of it from suggestions from sponsors, some of it from just sort of my own work in the literature and stuff like that sort of piecing together. And that's kind of how Susan and I connected. But the first part of that for me was really to do an honest inventory of all the things that I had been doing in relation to my body and my perceptions of my body. So again, that's part of what we'll do today. Um, and then, like everything else, looking to, like, well, how does my higher power see that, you know? And, you know, taking it back to even things, like, I remember, like, as a kid in grade school, like, after PE being, you know, like, breathing heavy because I was exhausted, and when you're running around in a chubby little body, that happens. But I was so, I didn't want anybody else to know, so I'd hold my breath, you know? I honestly think I spent most of my life holding my breath out of fear, you know? So... Like, I couldn't even, like, breathe okay. Like, you know, um, and just, like, thinking I looked okay, and then I would see a reflection of myself, and I'd be absolutely mortified. And then it, then it would, the tirade would start, you idiot, what were you thinking? You thought you looked good? What are you, nuts? You know, and, and being the biggest, most invisible person in the room was always a very interesting thing to me. You know, I didn't even realize... Um, that like I was invisible. I just thought it was fortunate that people didn't notice, you know? And um, that was a piece that came up for me when I got to Healthy Body was all of a sudden I was more visible to people that I had not been visible to before and this was news to me. Um, and learning how to navigate those things and let go of like that's their stuff, I need to deal with how it is for me. So all that to say, I mean, there's like a lot potentially here and one thing I would just in, in kind of a wrap up here invite that oftentimes we've experienced over the years we've done this workshop I lost count but at, <laughs> at least for like 16 years at least once or twice a year um, that there's a lot of stuff sometimes that gets unearthed and gets paid attention to that that one has sort of been not aware of or it hits in a deeper place. And so I would just encourage you to keep moving forward, but be gentle with yourself. Um, and that there may be things that you, like you may leave here today um, with some sense of relief, but then that, that thing that often happens is like all the other side of it, you know, comes up or whatever. And so give yourself the grace of not, not losing touch with this or with others maybe who were in this workshop as well. Um, to keep each other connected. Because um, we don't do any of this stuff alone, right? Like if I could have lost the weight on my own, I would have. If I could have developed a level of sanity and peace around my body, which I do have today. I mean, I am so grateful for this body I live in, snaggy skin and all. I just, it's beyond measure to me, the degree of, of, I, or maybe I should say the absence of like self-hatred. I mean, there's, I'm not saying I'm like, ooh, fabulous body all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But um, I'm just, I'm so grateful. I mean, considering all the things I've done to my body over the years, like it's an, it's an absolute miracle. And I'm just, I hope that you will have an opportunity. And I, I can guarantee that if you work, you move your way through all these 12 steps, you will experience some of that, if not more of it today. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Hi, I'm Susie, and I'm a compulsive overeater. <coughs> and I'm a sitter, so. Um, 
So my body image uh, story happened even years before I was born. Um, somebody fixed up my mother and my father, and uh, my mother, he asked my father, my father asked her out, and she wouldn't go out with him because he was too fat. So, uh, and then he went into the army, and in six months he lost 100 pounds. I think he only ate cottage cheese, if somebody wants to know how he did it. Um, he got out, he came back from the army, and they got married six weeks later. Uh, she kept a pretty tight uh, rope around uh, his food, but he also, I think, you know, he was one of those people that um, he controlled his food, but it came out in other ways that weren't so positive for his family. Um, I'll just say that. So my first experience with being disruptive happened when I was four. And by the time I was six, oh sorry. By the time I was six, I was being called names. And um, at six years old, I started hating my body. Um, I have a son who is 13. I, yes, I'm a late bloomer. He's 13, and when he turned six, I was very conscious of how little he was. And I thought, this is when I had the wherewithal to hate myself at six. And it sure did, it didn't leave. It just didn't leave. I hated myself. I was always comparing myself to others, to my friends, what they ate, what you ate, what they ate, what everybody ate, and how come I couldn't lose weight? My mother put me on my first diet when I was 10. She was very good at uh, having people lose weight. And um, I think I lost like five pounds in five days. And I thought, oh, this is it. This is how you do it. And then I went off the diet and um, probably gained the weight back in five minutes. So that's kind of how I lived. I lived wanting food. I lived denying myself food. I uh, compared myself with my friends constantly um, and hated myself. It was kind of, that was the deal. That was just, that's how I lived. Um, when I was in, about 20, I was living in New York and I had two roommates and um, one of my roommates, oh, oh, I'll just say, I don't know why this vision just popped in my mind, and I, I know there's somebody here can relate to this. In elementary school, the nurse would wheel the scale into the classroom, you know, those big scale, right? And she was sitting here, but your teacher was sitting way across the room, who screamed out your weight to her. And I, started dreading that the first day of every grade. When is the nurse going to come in with that scale? When is it going to happen? And it always happened like in May or June or something. Um, I was the second shortest kid, shortest, yeah, second shortest kid in the class, and I weighed the most um, every year. Nobody seemed to notice but me, but I noticed. And um, I don't know why it just came into my mind. So I was living in New York, and um, one of my roommates and I just talked about food and dieting all the time. 
we would buy magazines that always said, you know, lose 10 pounds overnight and compare notes and everything. And one day she, uh, she said to me, I figured out how to lose weight, how to lose weight. I figured out how to eat whatever I wanted and not gain weight. So of course I was all ears and she said, um, I put a spoon down my throat and I make myself throw up. So this is like in 1971, there was no bulimia happening in, this, in our society or anything and people certainly weren't talking about eating disorders. They were probably talking about Weight Watchers is what the whole food uh, food um, logo, food um, system was about. That's what people talked about. You were fat or you were thin, and you were, if you were fat, you were on Weight Watchers. So um, I put that to the test pretty immediately, and um, you know, I, I loved it. And I would say like in my first year of doing that, I probably did it two or three times. I would say my birthday, probably Thanksgiving was my favorite day. Um, and really, if I was doing it two or three times a year, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. That was totally manageable to me. Um, and within a span of seven years, I was doing it up to 10 times a day. And I was pretty much a prisoner of uh, my apartment. I lived out, out here by that time. And on weekends, that's what I did. I couldn't wait to be home by myself, take that bite and just, uh, you know. Um, now those first bites came during the week too, but on the weekends was my big time. And I used to think that treating myself well was allowing myself to go to the expensive market. That was me being good to myself. That's how I looked at it. Um, after a while, I couldn't, I couldn't throw up anymore. And, um, you know, I just started wearing everything I ate, everything. And my weight really uh, ballooned up pretty quickly. Um, and uh, I didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do anymore. I knew this guy, his name was Gary, and um, he came to OA. He lost 100 pounds, and he never gained it back. Um, so I called him, and I said, you know, can we have lunch? And we went to lunch, and he, he had a salad, but he ate, like, he ate a roll in front of me with butter. I would never eat a roll in front of anybody, lest they think, oh, that's why she's fat. She's eating bread and butter. Um, but he did. He, he looked like a normal per person, and he ate what looked like a normal person. Um, so I came to meetings, you know, I went to uh, five meetings in five days. I hated it. I hated the whole concept of a higher power. You know, I know a lot of people here, when we come in, just hate that. And I uh, bought the big book, and I was reading it one night, and I had, you know, my little highlighter with me. And the book made me so uncomfortable with all the God stuff, Creator, Providence, Lord, Father, all that stuff. I threw the book out. I just, when I was living in an apartment, I went down the hallway, there was the garbage chute, and I threw it right down. I wanted nothing to do with it. 
and nothing to do with, no offense, all of you. Um, and I had more eating to do, as we say. And I ate, and I ate, and I ate. And then um, three years later, I was really given the best thing I ever got in my life, which was the gift of desperation. So I crawled back in, and I was willing to do anything anybody suggested, anything, even entertain the notion that there might be something that's not me, that's bigger than me, out there somewhere, or in here somewhere. Um, and so my journey was really in the first five months of coming was trying to establish a relationship with the higher power. Um, you know, I heard things at meetings, what people said, what they did. Uh, I, um, I had a sponsor. She gave me ideas. She said I could borrow her higher power. Um, until finally one day I heard a voice, not mine. I was the only person in the room. And I realized that that was my higher power. And I was, my first thought was excitement. And my second thought was embarrassment. Oh, God, I'm one of those people now. I have a higher power, you know. Um, when I was growing up, my grandmother lived with us for a while. And she was very, very religious. And occasionally, I would ask her, why she did, she had some rituals that she would do at different holidays during the year. And I would say, why are you doing this? Why are you having a, um, I'll just finish the story. Why do you sweep a, a big uh, crouton with a feather into this pillowcase I'm holding once a year and a candle? Why are you doing it? And she said, why? Because. Period. That was her answer, because. And I took that as religious people are stupid. <laughs> and I sure didn't want to be stupid. Um, but then I saw when I came here, anybody who really had what I wanted, which in order was weight loss, and then I saw people actually had serenity. They actually felt good about themselves and about life. That was all new to me, and boy, was that attractive to me. All those people had a very strong relationship with the higher power. So once I got that higher power, I began working on that relationship, developing my God muscle, so to speak. Um, it took uh, several months. I got abstinent, um, and once I got abstinent, the weight came off pretty quickly. It's funny, it used to startle me. Wow, when you eat less, you really do lose weight. I, I, I thought I just discovered that, you know. Um, I will say this for anybody who's new. In the beginning of abstinence, it was hard. It was hard. I was used to eating all day, especially between lunch and dinner. I kind of grazed through it, and I wasn't doing that anymore. I got hungry. But I had a higher power, I had a sponsor, I had the program, I had tools, 
I had steps and I didn't have to eat. And that was a miracle. And to this day, I continue to use all those things. Um, still, the program is the most important thing in my life because without it, I have nothing else. Absolutely nothing. And um, this, uh, these, uh, these questions and this whole workshop came out of what we've done. I'm just going to segue into this. I'm going to segue into step one. Um, we noticed, both of us separately, like as Colleen said, we kind of came together doing the same things. We noticed that um, besides people being obsessed about food, people were obsessed with their bodies, mm -hmm. what they looked like, what they didn't look like, how big it was, how small it was, you know? And we certainly run the gamut of people here who are physic who physically may be very small, but think of themselves as fat, body dysmorphia. We, you hear a lot of it here. And um, so we uh, experienced these questions ourselves. Not all, I mean, we kind of came together, and one of us had like worked on one half, and one of us had worked on the, sec the other half of questions. And it kind of came together. I know that we both think of this as this was just a gift for us to pass along. Um, I, I certainly really don't take very much credit in it. Um, and, uh, and so we hope that it, it will work for you. I'm going to start with step one, which is we admitted we were powerless over compulsive overeating and that our lives have become a man manageable. So what we're going to do is I'm going to back up everything I say with, with something from the literature, or I'm just going to back up everything with the literature. For instance, in the uh, OA uh, 12 and 12, I've used the second edition for this, paragraph one. It says, only an honest submission to ourselves of the reality of our condition can save us from our destructive eating. And, um, but let, let's not forget, bless you, the second part on the other side of the dash, which, which is our lives have become unmanageable. So it continues, the same principle applies to our unmanageable lives. As long as we know what is best for us, we cling to our habitual ways of thinking and acting. Yet these ways of thinking and acting got us into the unhealthy, unhappy condition we were in when we came to OA. Um, in the big book, there's something on page 52. It's, if anybody has read the big book, I hope so. Um, these are called the bedevilments. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of any real help to people. So the first question that uh, we'd like you to write on is, how has the way you've obsessed over your body interfered with your life? Okay, five minutes for that? Yeah. Five minutes. Anybody need paper? Can some more pencils? I'm just gonna do it with my phone, yeah. Thank you. Will you read that question one more time? Sure. How has the way you've obsessed over your body 
interfered with your life. For me, I never went to the beach. I didn't allow myself to go certain places. Things like that. Okay. Um, I love this. In Voices of Recovery, it says on page 15, I am powerless, oh, sorry. I am powerless, I am powerless over fixing myself, but I'm not helpless. I really like that a lot. Okay. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So if our lives are unmanageable and we need to re restore to sanity, why not apply this to my, this part of my life also? So what do we need? In the big book, it asks on page 47, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? The willingness to act on faith is the key to step two. So in the OA 12 and 12, it says, literally, this is how we do it. We could begin to do this by asking ourselves what exactly we needed and wanted God to be to us and to do for us. Then we acted as if God were really exactly what we wanted and needed for our higher power to be. We became willing to let go of any concept about God which wasn't helping us to recover from compulsive eating, overeating, and we had to replace our old ideas about God with a faith that worked. Coming to believe was something that happened as we began taking action which others told us had worked for them. And uh, in the AA 12 and 12, it tells us that sanity is, de is defined as soundness of mind. So the question for step two is, what does sanity look like to you with regards to your obsession with your body or how you think about your body? <clears throat> Need that repeated? Yes. yes. What does sanity look like to you with regards to your obsession with your body or how you think about your body. I'll keep repeating it until nobody needs me to repeat it anymore. <laughs> Honestly, I will. Anybody <coughs> need that again? Yeah. yeah. One more time. What does sanity look like to you with regards to your obsession with your body or how you think about your body? Okay. Um, before I pass this on to Colleen, I want to say once again, we're going to say it a lot today. P sorry. We're going to say this a lot today. Please read this to somebody after the workshop, whenever. Just, it doesn't matter who you read it to. Read it to your dog. <coughs> Just give it away. Thanks. Okay, so now we're on to step three, which is made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So in the big book on page 60, when you reach step three, it says, being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, over to God as we understood him. It says, just what do we mean by that, and just what do we do? It says, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will could hardly be a success. So my self-will was to um, degrade and demean myself in my language in terms of my body as if that was going to get me anything more than just more hatred for my body. So that was my self-will. 
It says, on that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody. So in that case, I was mostly in collision with myself. Uh, it says, even though our motives are good, you know, I didn't do it because I thought, like, this isn't going to work. I was convinced that it would work. Um, and then it goes on to say that most people try to live by self-propulsion, which is exactly what it was. Never once in that did I open it up to God and say, how do you see this? And then in page 62, um, it talks in the second to last paragraph, it says, um, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. One of the things that I didn't understand was that my obsession about my body was very self-focused. And that was an element I had not considered. Um, and then it goes on to say that God makes it possible, and there often seems no way entirely of getting rid of self without his aid. It goes on to say that we had to have God's help. This is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. So I had to quit doing what I was doing. Uh, next, I decided hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be the director. He is the principal. We are his agents. One of the things Bill's really good about is using different words that mean the same thing. Um, but then it goes on to the last sentence, which I love, which it says, most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. So... God's idea clearly was going to have to be simpler. But before I could even get to that point, if I'm going to turn my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions, over to the care of God as I understood, first I have to believe that it's a God that cares for me. And second of all, I have to have the concept of a higher power that um, I'm, I'm willing to make that decision, you know? So if I'm not going to, it needs to be the higher power to which I will decide to turn my thoughts and my actions about my body over to. So the question for you then is what kind of higher power do you need in order to turn your thoughts and your actions about your body over? So what kind of higher power do you need to decide to turn your thoughts and your actions about your body over. Yes, what kind of higher power do you need in order to decide to turn your thoughts and your actions about your body over? Decide to turn your will and life, meaning your thoughts and actions, about your body. Okay, so one of the things that I'll, I'll share with you that I continue to do to this day is as I read a letter to God every morning as part of my morning practice and uh, after I thank God for the gift of absence, the opportunity to be of service and all other things I'm grateful for to be in alignment with God's will. I then, I literally write out, I turn over to you my food, my weight, my body image. Because I don't think at any point that like I'm going to start to all of a sudden come up with brilliant ideas about my relationship <laughs> with my body. I'm clearly demonstrating that I'm powerless over that. So in the Voices of Recovery, um, page 223, 
it references uh, this third step, and it says, uh, in every decision, my mind went into instant rebuff mode upon reading those words. Oh, sure, I could see the need to surrender my will and my life to a power greater than myself in food-related matters. Just how many fruits can I dice up really small and cram on top of my cereal and still remain spiritually fit? How many trips to the salad bar constitute a normal meal? But every decision, whether to ask for a raise, to take on a new sponsoree, to read Lifeline or TV Guide, to go to bed with this attractive stranger, to phone my mother or my sponsor, to tell this jerk I'm plenty miffed, in all the small and large decisions that make up a day, that make up a life. The words on the first page of step three gazed back at me serenely. I hesitated and then totally capitulated to their injunction, and I've never regretted that surrender. So the reason that we um, do step three before we do step four is that we have to make a decision that we're going to turn our will and our lives over to the care of this higher power as we understand that higher power. Which is why then when the next thing we have to do is take a look at like what, what kind of things have we been doing on our own up to this point and then moving um, forward then we'll have a better idea of like how not to do that. But we need to first do that inventory which is where we have step four. So step four is it made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So in the AA 12 and 12, on page 49, it says, Pride says you need not pass this way, and fear says you dare not look. But the testimony of AAs who really try to moral inventory is that pride and fear of this sort turn out to be the boogeyman, nothing else. And then it goes on to, um, later on that page, into the next page, uh, 49 to 50, there's what's called the fourth step promise which is once we have a complete willingness to take inventory and exert ourselves to do the job thoroughly, a wonderful light falls upon this foggy scene. As we persist, a brand new kind of confidence is born and the sense of relief at finally facing ourselves is indescribable. These are the first fruits of step four. One of the things that it mentions in that is it talks about to do the job thoroughly. So what's important is when the big book on page 64, when they talk about the fourth step, they explain that it is a, like doing a commercial inventory that's a fact-finding, fact-facing process in an effort to discover the truth. Nowhere in there does it say shaming, blaming, or anything um, remotely like that. So that's one thing that I think is really important to keep in mind. So there's actually, we're going to do like three parts to this fourth step, okay? There's two writing parts. The first one is kind of on your history, and I'm going to give you some prompts in a second here. And then the second one has more to do with like the present. And then I'll explain to the third part when we get to that. But this first part on the history, one of the things that there are several prompts on this page, and I'll read some of these off as I hand these, these out, you don't have to break this down. Um, the idea is, I mean, you can get through as many as you want. The idea is not like, you don't get an A plus because you did all of them, okay? Um, you don't get the perfectionist prize of the day because you managed to do all of them. No. And there may be one or two that jump out at you. There may be none. You may already know exactly what you need to start writing about and just start writing. So the idea is not to get hung up on doing it right and just do it. So um, just for the recording so people have an idea, some of the prompts are things like, 
maybe the first time you remember looking and noticing your body in the mirror, the first time someone commented on your body, it could be positive or negative. Um, when you remember getting dressed for uh, a party or something, um, playing sports, any kind of injuries you might have had. Um, I was always bumping into things and tripping and falling, so that just added to, like, I'm an idiot because I can't even walk straight. Um, the first time you had to wear deodorant, when you started developing breasts or facial hair, wearing boxers instead of briefs, uh, getting your first erection or menstruation, uh, being the shortest or the biggest or the widest or the tallest in your class, having your the nurse scream your weight number across the room, you know, um, general embarrassment about your body not fitting into clothing items, tucking in your shirt. Um, I remember very distinctly getting on that scale. These are the old school scales where they had these massive bars that were like the 100 pound or the 50 pound things and like seriously holding my breath and crossing my toes and fingers like don't let it go to the next one, don't let it go to the and it went to the next one. I was just like, oh man, you know. Or in Weight Watchers when I was 10 years old, I had to go behind the wall to get weighed in. Uh, any kind of chronic pain, messages from family. My mother was obsessed with her stomach. I don't, I, to this day, I have no idea what the problem was. Um, were you ever scared or angry at your body for anything? Did you ever harm your physically, body physically? Did anyone else harm your body physically? Um, what nice things do you do to your body? It doesn't necessarily all have to be bad. Right. So, um, just that any nice things, I say it doesn't all have to be bad. Like some, you, most of life is a mixture in my experience. So I'm going to pass these out. These are the prompts. Okay, so now we're going to do the second prompt, which is, or second set of prompts, which are more in the present. Um, and if you have more you want to write from the past, you can do that. Um, how does living in the body you're in now serve you? How do you see yourself? What things do you like about your body? What things do you not like about your body? Are you present in your body? What would you like to see change about your body image? What beliefs or ideas do you hold about body image? What beliefs do you hold about your own body? Do you have a hard time speaking up when it comes to your body? Like asking for what you need? Um, what are some nice things that you do to your body? What are some not nice things you do to your body? What fears do you have about your body? Are there things you don't like about your body that you can change? What's stopping you from changing? So again, you'll have 10 minutes to write on that one. Okay, so the last part of the inventory, uh, you're gonna have five minutes for this part. What you're going to do is you're going to draw a representation and I, and I do mean representation um, of your body. So my, my artistic skills basically means I draw a stick figure, okay? Um, the point is to have something that represents your whole body, because I know some people are super artists and they spend the whole time drawing their face. So the point is like have some representation of your body, um, and then you're going to put like a heart or a star on the parts of your body that you do like, okay? Um, and then like an X over the part that you don't like. And you cannot put an X over the whole body. Find something, whether it's your left pinky, um, your left eye, maybe your right ear. You know, like I always loved my collarbone, still do. Um, and so that would be an area I would draw hard or start some kind of positive symbol. 
and then like I was not never a particularly big fan of my thighs, although that's getting better as time goes on. Um, so I wouldn't put an X on that today, but there was a time when I would have. Um, so that's there. There could be areas that you're neutral for, but I. You, the point is to at least notice or make a point of being aware of that there's at least one part, again, if it's your left pinky. <laughs> or maybe it's your left pinky fingernail. I'd find something that, that you hold in, in a positive regard. And you have five minutes for that. So, so the symbols are X's of what we don't like, and what is it for you? Like, like a heart or star or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> Draw a ring. I mean, just something simple. Some people aren't hearts. People prefer stars. Okay. So congratulations, you did a fourth step. Um, so before we move on to the fifth step, and after that we're going to take a little break, but um, I would invite you to like stretch or stand up, move around, shake it out a little bit. That's, that's a pretty heavy duty, heavy duty stuff. Okay, so step five is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So one of the things that it tells us in the big book on page 72 is that this is perhaps difficult. Um, so one of the things I love about the literature, in particular the big book, is that uh, Bill doesn't really mince words. He's like, this is painful, this is hard, this is difficult, so um, we're no, under no more illusions. Um, this is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough admitting these things to ourselves. And then it goes on to say at the bottom of page 73 that we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. And the AA 12 and 12 on page 55 says all of AA's 12 steps ask us to go contrary to our natural desires. They all deflate our egos. When it comes to ego deflation, few steps are harder to take than five, but scarcely any step is more necessary to long-term sobriety and peace of mind than this one. And basically, if we've learned nothing, we've learned that we are only as sick as our secrets. So, um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I want you to partner up with somebody, um, and you're each gonna have five minutes to share, and you can share from your four-step work, um, which essentially is the design being a sophist step, but if you're not comfortable with that, you can share from your first and second, so any of the other writings. It's, it's entirely, there's no have to here, these are all suggestions, right? So although, again, I'm just gonna reiterate what we said many times, which is that to make sure that you share this stuff with your sponsor. So I'm gonna give you 10 minutes, and what I'll do is say switch at the five minute mark, and then that, that way you can give the other person an opportunity to share. Does everybody have a partner near them that they can share with? We're on the, the final six, right? We're on the downside now. Yeah. Okay. Everybody ready? Okay, step six. Uh, we were entirely ready to have God remove these, all these defects of character. Willing to change is the essence of step six. In Voices of Recovery, it tells us change is always frightening. Growing and changing is what OA is about. 
Miracles and spiritual awakenings have come as a result of my slow growth. I wanted to live in the insanity of doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. It was too scary to change. Thank God I stayed around until the miracle happened. Step six was my guide to a willingness to change. I'm grateful that I became willing to surrender to the process. I welcome opportunities for growth and recovery to do things differently. That is change. My program allows me to take care of myself, to grow, improve, work with others, get out of myself, and make a difference in the world. I open myself to God's will for my life. I will always be a compulsive overeater, but with my higher power, I have the ability to change. Um, in the AA 12 and 12, uh, in the first line of step six on page 63, it says, this is the step that separates the men from the boys. And when I first read that, I thought, I don't get that at all, you know. <clears throat> step six didn't, step six didn't mean a lot to me, like the fourth step or whatever. <clears throat> but then they tell me what the change is. So the difference between, <clears throat> sorry, the difference between the boys and the men is the difference between striving for a self-determined objective and for the per perfect objective, which is God. So, which means I'm getting out of my way and I'm going to God. So being entirely ready means that we are completely willing to recognize and let go of our defective behavior patterns and to let God change us as God will. We don't set a timetable or method for these changes. When and how our defects are removed is entirely up to God. Every character defect today, we, every character defect we have today has been useful to us at some point in our lives and we need to recognize that fact. Um, next, we need to recognize that each of these old tools for coping with life has now outlived its usefulness. I actually heard somebody call them character defenses once. And while I hate any changes <laughs> in the literature, I thought, hmm, that's, that's got a good, that, that's a pretty good thing there. Um, okay, so we're gonna move on to step seven where we were entirely ready to move, to remove these shortcomings. Uh, I have a question. Did sure. you say we could ask questions in the midst of your talk? Sorry? Can we ask a question in the midst of your talk? Sure. Would you please tell me what page, what you just read that from about every character defect was something, something, what you just read? Yeah, yeah. No, I've got these all uh, annotated. Uh, every character defect we have. It's uh, in the OA 12 and 12 on page 48. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, I usually say that. I'm going to start. Uh, I haven't done that, but I will. So step seven, as we know, is all about humility. Uh, in the eight, you know, we hear so many definitions of humility, but my favorite one happens to be in the AA 12 and 12 on page, on step seven, where it says, humility is a desire to seek and do God's will. And that really, really felt really good to me. Uh, why we need it? For just so long as we were convinced that we could live exclusively by our own individual strength and intelligence, because we're all so smart. For just that long was a working faith in a higher power impossible. 
and we give them up because we enjoy moments in which there is something like real peace of mind. To those of us who have hitherto known only excitement, depression, anxiety, in other words, all of us, this newfound peace is a priceless gift. And I can remember kind of being newish. Um, I should probably tell you, I've been abstinent uh, 36 years. I've had about a 50 pound weight loss. And, but when I was new, I remember driving one day. I was at work, I was driving to a meeting or something. And I just had this feeling, this thought, and I thought, wow, life just doesn't get better than this, does it? And it wasn't I was complaining. I mean, I felt so good and so at one with whatever, driving in my little car. I had a black Jetta at the time. And um, that's what, for me, this is about, you know. Um, because when I put down the food, I'm allowed, to, I'm not allowed, I, let, I have a space for those feelings where I didn't before. Um, that's my editorial comment there. But, it, but it's, it was quite amazing. I've had some of those since then too. Not every day, but I certainly have had them. So we, uh, let's see, why we give them up. Why do we give up these, oh, I said that already. Um, we use God to remove our defects the way we did with food. Humility is recognizing that we can and only God can. Um, on page 51 in the OA 12 and 12, it says, in OA we learned that low self-esteem was not at all the same as humility. In fact, a poor self-image keeps us in bondage to self and thus makes it impossible for us to find true humility. That was one of those aha moments when I read that. I really like that. So um, I needed the food. I needed the food because I was obsessed with myself, mentally and physically. And I needed that because I couldn't, I couldn't face what was underneath it. I had no tools to deal with all the feelings that I had that I've started to try and push down since the age of four. It's a long, a long time to push them down, and it's a lot of feelings. And I needed to eat. And you know what? When I was a kid, I think food saved my life. And um, I certainly would have died of loneliness, I say. I, I felt very alone in the world. So, um, but now I have God. The seventh step is where we make the change in our attitude which permits us, with humility as our guide, to move out from ourselves towards others and toward God. The whole emphasis on step seven is on humility. It is really saying to us that we now ought to be willing to try humility in, in seeking the removal of our shortcomings, just as we did when we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol. This from a, 12 and 12, and came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. If that degree of humility could enable us to find the grace by which such a deadly obsession could be banished, then there must be hope of the same result respecting any other problem we could possibly have. Amen.
Lastly, in the OA 12 and 12, on page 57, it says, we need to recognize that each of these old tools for coping with life has now outlived its usefulness. Only when we realize that they are costing us more than they are giving us do we become entirely ready to be rid of our defects of character. And that is what uh, this next writing is about. We have a list of prompts, just prompts of defects. Um, I'm sure you all have your own, but these are just some we came up with. And um, I want you to look at these defects and think, what is the benefit that you got from having this defect? And these are, of course, related to your body. What is the benefit of having this defect, and what is it costing you to have it today? Okay? Need to repeat? Yes. What is the benefit of having the, these defects or this defect about your body? And what is it costing you to have this defect about your body today? So what can we do while we're waiting to have God remove these defects? That's the big question. Uh, we act as if they have been removed. That's what they tell us in the OA 12 and 12, page 56. Okay. Don't forget. Did you have a question? Can you repeat that again? Oh, what can we do while we're waiting? Sorry. I know. What can we do while we're waiting for God to remove our defects is we can act as if they have been removed. And that's from the OA uh, 12 and 12, page 51. All right. Don't forget to read this list to your sponsor or somebody else. We're going to move on to step eight which is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. What is an amend? Uh, to amend something means to change it. We complete our amends for our wrongful actions of the past by changing our actions in the future. The purpose of step eight from the Voices of Recovery is page 181 to learn attitudes of mercy and forgiveness. Love your imperfect self and your imperfect world. For if you cannot love life the way it is, you will suffer from eternal loneliness. The ability to love yourself and those around you is a gift from God that enables you to live fully, bravely, and meaningfully in an imperfect world. To refuse to forgive yourselves or others is, con is to continue to hurt ourselves. Um, we cannot, um, this is also from the OA 12 and 12, page 62, we cannot skip this, this step from making amends if we want freedom from compulsive overeating and our obsession with our body. Uh, and with this step, um, what I learned is um, that I don't make amends to others for my thoughts about them because there would be nobody left on the planet if I did that, unfortunately. But, um, so uh, that's what I learned. But uh, we make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So the goal of this step is, the perfect purpose of step nine is to clear away guilt and ill will 
so that we may better may establish better relationships with people whom our lives have touched. In making amends, we'll need to acknowledge the specific harm we've done, apologize, make appropriate restitution, and change our behavior toward them in the future. How do we make amends to ourselves? To amend something uh, is to change it. We, we complete our amends for our wrongful actions of the past by changing our actions in the future. This is especially important when making amends to ourselves. Only by permanently changing our harmful attitudes and actions can we make it up to ourselves and our loved ones for the hurts of the past. So um, when I make an amends to myself, I am allowed to use my thoughts about what I've thought about myself. That's the place that, I, that I've learned that I can do that. Uh, so, guess what you're going to do now? Yeah, you're going to write an amends letter to yourself um, about how you've treated your body and the way you've thought about your body. It's all about your relationship with your body and your body obsession. So you'll have five minutes to do that. I'm sorry. I'm, I missed step eight. Sorry? I missed step eight. I don't, I don't remember what... This is step nine, to write yes. the amends. I combined them. Oh, oh you, you combined eight and nine? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That, that would be Any other questions? Can you repeat the last part one more time? So it's a letter to... Um, An amends letter to yourself, uh-huh. making amends for um, how you've treated yourself or thought about yourself in regards to your body and your body obsession. Okay, so you're going to read your letter to someone here in pairs. Um, You'll each have two and a half minutes to read to each other. So if you want to pair up, and then we'll start the time. Everybody done? Okay. I want to read you one more thing from step nine. And it's from uh, for today. March 6th, my best, my favorite uh, entry for today. Today I am worth enough to give myself the best, the best thought, the best care. I guard my abstinence and my program as though they were my dearest possessions, and they are. Wherever I go, I expect good, beautiful, and worthwhile things, and I find them. I treat myself and others with respect and I do not react in kind to people who behave badly toward me. My self-worth comes not from others, but from myself, from caring about my own opinion and about what I do and say. For today, caring for myself is the best way I know how to care for others and to find the good in everything. How's that? That's great. Yeah. Good one, huh? Well done. Can you give us the date again? Yeah, it's for today, March 6th. March 6th. And if you don't have a copy of for today, we have it. There you go. <laughs> and um, our purpose of all this, I just want to get around to really why we do all of this work, as the big book tells us, is our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and people around us. So... Thank
All right, so now we are at step 10, which is that we continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. So in case you're not clear on what step 10 is about, hopefully this paragraph from the big book on page 84 helps illuminate. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests that we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We've entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Meaning, like for me, continue to watch for those negative thoughts or ideas about my body. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So in this case, love and tolerance of myself becomes part of that code. And um, it's all about basically directing our will to be in alignment with God's will. So um, on page 85 in the big book, it talks about um, midway through the, the page, it says, every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. And so oftentimes I think of it carrying the vision of God's, God's vision of my body isn't how I operate. How can I best serve thee, thy will, not mine be done? Because magically, <laughs> when I'm not focused on everything I don't like about me, I have more energy and attention to give towards <laughs> others. Shocker, right? And then it just basically outlines that that is the proper use of the will. Now on the AA 12 and 12, on page 88, it says, the wise have always known that no one can make much of his life until self-searching becomes a regular habit until he's able to admit and accept what he finds, and until he patiently and persistently tries to correct what is wrong. So it's not about like, oh, I got this, right? And I'm good to go, which is why we keep working the 12 steps, right? So um, I'm not gonna sit up here and lie and tell you that I never have a negative thought about my body. That's not true. What the difference is, is A, I don't let it sit there and like fester, that I, as soon as, as I can marshal the possibility, I turn my, my direction towards God and say, God, how do you see me? Or how do you see this? You know, and I'll just point out a particular example I've shared before. I was uh, coming out of the gym in the morning on my way to work, and I changed to my work clothes, and I could hear the conversation in my head, like my skirt felt too tight, and now I'm fine. Just gotten off of like 45 minutes on the elliptical, completely sweating my butt off, and you know, like my heart is pumping and my head dips directly into madness. And I just, I could hear the conversation from when I left the locker room till I get to my car and I finally, I popped up the trunk, put the gym bag in the, in the trunk and went, all right, God, show me how you see my body. Because this is not helping. Like I can't redirect myself here. And, um, and the first word, that popped into my mouth was functional. And at the time I was like, functional? <laughs> like, oh, come on. Not like super sexy, hot, fabulous. Like, you know, I want to go from like zero to 60 in less than two seconds, right? And 
But then I, I sort of let it sit for a moment. You know, and this best part of how I knew it was not my thought, because I wouldn't come up with functional. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, like, I was able to walk from here to there, no problem. I was able to be on the elliptical for 45 minutes, no problem. Like, my digestion is, like, all of these things, like, my nails, like, I'm not face down on my apartment, you know, in a pizza and can't get myself out of bed in the morning because I'm so hungover from whatever I binged on the sugar, whatever, the night before. And I was like, oh, wow. And like a wave came over me and just total gratitude of like, wow, like I live in a functional body. I mean, by all accounts, like I could have destroyed that completely and I didn't, you know? And today, because I'm abstinent, because I live in recovery, I continually do things my best to keep things as functional as possible and address them when they're not, whether that means see the doctor or do whatever it is. And I just was completely overwhelmed. Well, I, I didn't care whether or not I felt like my skirt was too tight. Like, it just shifted everything. And it was just simply stopping and saying, okay, God, how do you see my body? That's it. Like, I didn't have to come up with it. I just had to stop and ask the question to surrender that I wasn't going to be able to come up with a different idea. So, um, and then there's a, from the Voices of Recovery on page 345. Let's see. It's a quote from, it's December 10th, and it's a quote from... Uh, step 10, about step 10. It was the quote from the OA 12 and 12 about step 10. And then the narrative is, our disease is a disease of the attitudes. However, the years I've spent in OA have shown me that although my disease is progressive, so is my recovery. When I was active in my eating disorder, I hated everything about my life. My world consisted of binges, blame, fear, shame, jealousy, and rage. I was imprisoned by unrealistic expectations of people bitterly resenting their imperfections. Sideline, because I resented my own imperfections. I also hated myself because I couldn't stop eating. Negativity breeds hopelessness, and I was trapped. Recovery teaches me that my gratitude and serenity snowball just like my negative attitudes did. As I work the 12 steps of this program, it becomes fulfilling to focus on the good in my life. It doesn't always come easily. Sometimes I struggle to think positively, but when my attitudes slip, I know there's hope. Now my world consists of daily miracles, both large and small, that keep the light in my eyes and the lightness in my heart. Positive thinking breeds acceptance, and today I am free. And one thing that I would just note about this, that I've learned from living the 12 steps, is that um, Sometimes there's an intermediary step between the negative thought and the positive thought. So for me, that intermediary step is usually God. You know, I couldn't go from like being obsessed with how tight my skirt felt to feeling like, oh, my butt, my body's functional. I needed that intermediary to take it to a more positive light. So that move to positive um, was not something that was within my power to do in that moment. And sometimes it is, because as we continue to practice these things, that's what it becomes. So um, what you're going to do is you're going to write uh, an affirmation. We have some index cards. Um, you only need one, but I know some people need, want to do more than one. That's fine. Just one, though, you need to do. Um, 
And a couple of notes about an affirmation. It's good to keep it in the present, um, to keep it in the, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To not make it conditional, meaning no, like, when I do blah, 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 this, or if this, then that, that's not an affirmation. Affirmation could simply be, I'm open to seeing myself as God sees me. Uh, I like my hair. It could be, um, I am showing up the best I can today. Uh, I like my hands. I, you know, whatever, whatever your affirmation is, you know. So those are just some different uh, potential examples. And you'll have uh, five minutes to do that. Okay. Step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. The short version of the step is, thy will not mine be done. So what is prayer? In the AA 12 and 12 on page 102, it tells us prayer is raising the heart and mind to God to petition God to let us know God's will for us. We try to ask for those right things of which we and others are in the greatest need and knowledge of his will for us and to the power to carry it out. Meditation tells us that uh, meditation it helps envision our spiritual objective before we try to move forward toward it. Its objective is always the same, to improve our conscious contact with God, with his grace, wisdom, and love. And let's remember that meditation is, in reality, intensely practical. One of its first fruits is emotional balance. And in the OA uh, 12 and 12, on page 96, it tells us, meditation gives us the much-needed practice in the art of sit sitting still and opening our hearts to receive spiritual nourishment by experiencing more fully our connections with our true unfragmented self, with our higher power. So uh, what we're going to do now is have uh, a two-minute meditation. We're just going to sit here and meditate for two minutes. And then uh, write a letter to yourself from your higher power telling you what your higher power sees regarding your body and how how does your higher power see your body? Okay, two minutes. Can you repeat that? Sure. Uh, write a letter from your higher power to yourself regarding your body. How does your higher power see your body? Is that the meditation? Or? No, you're going to actually write it okay. after we're done meditating oh, for okay. two minutes, okay? Yes. Got it? All right, let's meditate.
Okay, five minutes to write the letter from your higher power to you regarding your body, how your higher power sees your body. Okay, so now you're going to share your letter with your neighbor, whomever. Um, you'll have two and a half minutes each. Sorry. You're going to share your letter with uh, your partner here. And you'll each have two and a half minutes. I'll let you know when two and a half minutes is done. And then you can switch. All right. We made it to step 12. Congratulations. All right, so step 12, having had a spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsory readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So in the big book of AA, it talks about on um, chapter seven, which is all about working with others. It says practical experience shows nothing so much to ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. So that's one thing that I found helpful, that if, if I'm like in a headspace or something about my body or whatever, like just turn my attention to someone else. Just get my mind up, you know, redirect my attention. Um, and again, the, the impetus behind that is to be helpful. Like that's really our aim. It says that at the bottom of page 89. And then in the AA 12 and 12, um, on page 125, it says, for it is only by accepting and solving our problems that we can begin to get right with ourselves and with the world about us and with him who presides over us all. So that acceptance piece is important. Like, I don't spend time going, oh, why am I doing that? Like, what's my problem? I know what my problem is. Like, it's kind of like begrudging, you know, like, why am I thinking, I mean, I'm the first time I'm thinking about food. Well, I'm a compulsive reader. I have a solution for that. Like, I know what it is. I don't need to be like, what's my problem? I know what my problem is. So, um, so because I'm an acceptance of it, like I'm not looking for some other option somewhere. Um, and then the other thing that I just point out is in the big book on page 14 and 15, um, Bill's story talks about perfecting and enlarging our spiritual life to um, survive the trouble spots ahead. So A, the point out that there's going to be trouble spots ahead, it's not like smooth sailing once you get through the 12 steps. Um, and that Perfecting and enlarging my spiritual life to me essentially means enlarging my perspective of my higher power and what that could be and what that could encompass. So the idea that I have a higher power now who A isn't going to stand for it when I start degrading my body or going off about something I don't like about my body, but is also willing to help me shift that perspective. And it's about being open. And it comes in most random forms, whether it's I end up in traffic behind somebody with a bumper sticker that says, remember to breathe. I'm like, oh, right. You know, or like, you know, what, what's that coexist bumper sticker, you know, with all those different symbols. Or I will literally sometimes see like big book references, you know, like, and they just out of nowhere. Or, or even like, um, coming across someone, like I remember um, when I was going to the gym or whatever, and this person who had some, like they had MS or something like that, but they're showing up. And I was like, well, clearly I got nothing to complain about because I can only imagine how hard it is just for them to get out of bed and they're doing it. So, you know, just all kinds of ways that my higher power is gonna show up because I believe that I have a power greater than myself that can um, help me to overcome any kind of obsession about my body. Um, so, 
Oh, and then the one last reading I want to give you is from uh, January 16th in the Voice of Recovery, which is on page 16. And the reading is about the 12th step. And the narrative is... Wrong page. Here we go. When I first walked into the rooms of Overdue's Anonymous, I was like a candle whose light is flickering and close to going out. I was sick in mind, body, and spirit. I was hopeless. Many OA members describe OA as the last house on the block. I do not know if that's true since I do not know where the block begins or ends. I do know what I found in OA. It can only be found in the heart and mind of another recovering compulsive overeater. The flickering light that I came in with became stronger and the hopelessness turned into hopefulness. I can be a living example or a dying example of how the program works. My courage to recover and my experiences know I serve as an example to those who know me. I represent and carry the message of hope. And that's why we're here, you know. Um, before I came into these rooms, before I began living the steps, before I got abstinent, like it was all about like, well, I guess this is as good as it gets. And when I said that, it really was like, wow, this sucks. And hopefully it will just dredge on and not get too worse. You know, that was about the extent of what I had to look forward to. And today, it really is an experience of daily miracles, you know, if I'm willing to see them. Um, so, two pieces for this 12th step. One is kind of an extension of the 10th step, which is that because step 10 is all about continuing, the invitation with the affirmation that you have is to, for the next, I would say, at least 30 days, um, post somewhere where you can see it, where you can refer to it, and say it out loud, write it over and over again. I mean, I, for many years, I used to write out all kinds of affirmations, half of which I believe, but I was the process of doing, taking some kind of action. Um, because I clear I had a lot of stinking thinking going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I always recommend that you put it somewhere you're going to see it regularly. So put it on your fridge. You know, you're going to go to your fridge every day or in the bathroom mirror or something like that. Um, if you feel courageous enough, you can say it to yourself by looking yourself in the eye in the mirror. That has a profound effect as well. And then at the end of those 30 days, take that affirmation, maybe something you heard a fellow say in a meeting. And maybe they could use some of that, those words of affirmation. Or you can share with them the concept of how you came up with an affirmation and how it might be helpful for them. You know, because all, that's all we can do is share our experience, strength, and hope. And the effort is to be helpful. They don't have to be like, oh my god, that's the greatest idea. They might look at you like you're crazy. And you go, mm-hmm. And that's when they get to say, thank you for sharing, and you both move on. And this is how it works. So um, as a close for the workshop today, we're going to get into a circle. And each person is going to read their affirmation to the whole group. Uh, if you're not comfortable reading your affirmation, you can just say pass and move on to the next person. And then when everybody's done, we'll go ahead and say the serenity prayer. Okay, you want to start us off? Sure. I see my body as God sees my body. I'm willing to be honest today. I am grateful. I accept that I have limitations and that is okay. Caring for me is healthy. I am a warm and loving person with energy and willingness to work hard. I accept my body as it changes through aging. My higher power sees my body as beautiful because he loves every line and lump of flesh of it. Mm -hmm. And he loves it because he accepts me unconditionally, just as I am. 
I am beautiful, healthy, and I am enough. God loves me just as I am. I treat myself and my body gently and with kindness. I now open to seeing my body as God sees it. I open to God's vision of my body. I am enough. I like my life. I'm open to seeing myself as God sees me, and I'm open to accepting others and myself as we are. I am functional, <laughs> I am willing, and I am strong. I am enough. I'm lovable. Asking for help builds stronger recovery. I'm capable of growth and change. Um, I, sorry, I think I did it wrong. Okay. I like my juicy thighs. <laughs> with wonder and joy as when I see a young baby or a small child at Walmart. <laughs> I was made divinely perfect. God thinks you're a badass. <laughs> I'm letting go of my ego's aesthetic and making room for my higher powers instead. I like my body, I love my body, and I'm grateful for, for its functioning, for it function as well as it does, for its functioning as well as it does. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of my willingness to believe today in my higher power and uh, listen for guidance. <clears throat> today I choose to be open to God and his will. I'm willing to not yeah, but all day and night. <laughs> I can give myself a break. I'm willing to be less than perfect. I admit that I do care about people, those that I know, some I don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say please and thank you and mean it. Mm -hmm. I enjoy my body. I love my body. My senses sing with joy. I trust God's plan for my body. I'm grateful for my openness to follow God's lead in my thinking about every area of my life today. God, God, to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.